Hello, Georges Colini with you on a Pop Worldwide from PRX. In January 2019, we lost an icon and a friend, Zimbabwe's Oliver Mtukudzi, composer, singer, band leader, philosopher, and in so many ways, the very conscience of his nation. Tukutsi, Tuku to his fans, was just 66 years old when he died. He had struggled for years with diabetes, but to see him on stage with all that energy and that robust, soulful voice, you would never have known it. On this program, we'll dig into the Afropop archive to hear interviews we've done with Oliver, going back over 30 years, and hear music from throughout his long career. And we'll speak with his biographer, Jennifer Kiker. All that and more on Remembering Oliver Mtukudzi. In one of our first conversations, Oliver told us he was born the eldest of six children in 1952. In a very small clinic in Highfield, on the 22nd of September, it was a Monday, around 3 a.m. And uh, when I left my mother's breast, my grandpa took me to Mrewa in the homeland. So I came back into town for school. Highfield was one of the first townships where blacks were allowed to live. It was a middle-class area, alive with political and artistic activity and <laughs> big ambitions. Some of the family's neighbors would go on to lead the independent struggle and serve in the Zimbabwean government. As for young Oliver, even though his parents were avid singers, a career in music was never part of the plan. I never thought or decided that I want to pursue music as my career now. I just did it for the love of it. What I did was I started writing for church choirs, write my own songs. They used to call me, hey, what were you trying to write? Then I give them the chance and, oh, well, in the end, it's a beautiful song. Churches used them. And when I did my first recording, because the other guys were just playing copyrights and so on. So I did that as solo. Well, the song didn't do very well, but I didn't care about it. The excitement that I've done it was all I was looking for. That's when we started playing, me and my young brother, this group, Wagon Wheels. Even Thomas, we played with, together in the Wagon Wheels. It was 76. We didn't play in clubs, really. We played in halls and community halls around the country, especially the Mashona lands. It was tough then. Most groups played copyrights and you have to be very good. People compared you with what they hear from the radio and you have to match that. That was tough, you know? <laughs> that was tough. But we did it. This was the first time Oliver Mtukutsi and Thomas Mapfumo shared the same stage. In fact, in the same band. Thomas came. He wanted the wagon wheels to pick him up. 
because he had this new song of his. He had written his own music. He didn't want to do copyright anymore. He did one of my favorite songs, Yarira Ne Osho. Yarira Ne Osho. When I heard that in the radio, Yarira Ne Osho. Yarira Kumanawe. Sit I was right in the first place when I was doing my own music, you know. I think this guy is in the right direction. Why am I concentrating on this copyright? No, I'm doing my own now. I admired him for that. Whatever he brought out was just there. And it was nice. He was doing it in our own mother language and the elderly people all understood what you're talking about. And wow. Because each time I listened to his song, I could feel this is us. This is what we're supposed to be. So I wrote my first one, Zan Mamotera. Now, in fact, if you listen to all the music of most of artists who were singing then, the message is to change the character of a black person, to realize how much he is worth. You know, it was like trying to kill the image that had been brought by the regime into the hands of everybody. And of course, that's the white Rhodesian regime. In the 1970s, the country was at war to break free of colonialism, and everything became political. Jennifer Kiker is an associate professor of music at the University of Rochester, and she's been traveling to Zimbabwe since she was a young girl. She's a fine Mbira player, I tell you. Speaks good Shona, started a charity for Zimbabwean children, and much, much more. Jennifer also wrote the book Oliver Mtukutsi, Living Tuku Music in Zimbabwe. During the liberation years, people felt engaged with the struggle, and that took many forms. It wasn't necessarily running away to join the freedom fighters or directly supporting them. In magazine articles that were written during the late 1970s, Oliver's music is mentioned as part of this larger desire for freedom and the struggle of freedom that is sweeping the nation at the time. He was perceived as more on the gospel side of things, as someone whose mode of engagement with the struggle at times took the form of pleas to the Almighty for help and deliverance. Zandi Momotera talks about struggles. Troubles have surrounded me is the name of the song. And he is appealing to the Lord for help in this time of trouble. (laughs) 
More Direct Still is a 1977 song Oliver recorded with the wagon wheels. Mutavara. It says, beat the drum, Mutavara. The forest gives you once you are exhausted. And at the time, the guerrillas, the liberation fighters, are the ones in the forest. That's where the struggle is taking place. <laughs> Oliver Mtukuzi and the Black Spirits in a 1994 remake of his 1977 hit, Mutavara. By this time, he had added female backing vocals to his band, something that would remain a mark of his sound throughout his career. After Zimbabwean independence, Oliver had a breakthrough hit with the song Neria. Had to write a theme song for a film. They called Winds of Change. When I wrote this song, I entitled my song Neria. They uh, decided to call the whole film Neria instead of The Winds of Change. Me, as a co-actor in the film, I was the brother to this main character, Neria. It's an encouraging song. She mustn't lose heart that the husband is dead and the relatives are coming up to take her children and property. I was just encouraging it to lose heart, carry on fighting, God is with you. In Harare in 1988, Oliver performed a solo version of Neria, just for us. Neria, Neria, Oliver's songs often focus on social life among families and communities. In one of our first interviews, he spoke to us about an important Shona tradition. We have what we call Sawira, somebody who comes in, somebody from outside the family, from another different family, who comes in and they help me to solve problems. Since I'm the head of the family, I might go wrong. But uh, my young brothers and sisters, Maybe they can't tell me my wrongdoings. But this person comes in and is a helper. He eases up the situation. They are very special in our lives culturally. You find these people at wedding ceremonies, be it funeral ceremonies. I'll give an example, like on a funeral. My brother dies and um, instead of me concentrating on the funeral, the Sawira comes in, he's talking something different, he's disturbing me from thinking too much of the funeral. He eases up my brains, I refresh. 
maybe he portrays what this dead person has been doing when he was alive. Goes there, gets his clothes, put on the clothes of the deceased. It makes a joke out of it to ease up the situation. And you find things are a lot easier because of this sawira. A few years later, in 1997, death and mourning became personal for Oliver. And it led to an unusual solo album, Degazongu. Degazongu means all alone. It came to be out of a disappointment that three of the band members had died and uh, had prepared to record these things with them. Well, it was my drummer, Sam Mutoa, and uh, the lead guitarist, Job Muteswa, and my keyboard player, my young brother, Robert Mtugudze. I decided I should release them as raw as they are before I introduced them to the band. One song on this unusual album talks about what it means to be a hero. The song is on Bin's Way. Can anybody give an answer to my question? It's a dedication to uh, one of our local comedians, Safiri Yomazikatire. Yeah, he was a writer, actor, musician. He was almost everything in one person, you know. I feel when he died, I mean, there wasn't much respect that he was the top comedian of the country. You know, there wasn't respect, which means it's like people want to respect politicians than artists. So to be a hero doesn't mean you have to shoot to kill to be called a hero. You can sing to be a hero. What is a hero? What is a hero? What does it take to be a hero? One of these powerful solo performances is a song about identity. The color is black. The color is black. Your color is black, my son. The color is black. Our color is black, my son. The color is black. In the late 90s, things were heating up in Zimbabwe. There were food riots, massive inflation, crushing poverty, and a sense that leaders were failing. Tuku was well aware of all this, but not quick to point fingers. People know something is wrong somewhere, but they don't know what. But for as long as the one is hungry, the only thing he notices is his hunger. He's desperate. He doesn't know how to solve it. If he knew how to solve it, he would solve it. Something must be done because something is wrong here, but what? It's not a thing that started now. Probably these are just effects of what has been happening for a long time. A long time means at least as far back as the 1890s battle the Shona people fought against British interlopers, what is known as the first Chimuranga. An important figure in that fight was the spirit medium Mbuya Neanda. is a Zimbabwean spirit which in the last century had her first fight with the regime, with the white regime that came here. 
And uh, when they killed her, she mentioned that her bones will rise. I believe that's why the second Chimurenga war happened, because her bones had risen. Why she was fighting the white regime in the first place was the land issue. That was the main thing. Since whites had come in here and had settled, taking over lots of things, she was against that. But she didn't want them out. She wanted fairness. She was accommodative, but she didn't mean that if you're a visitor, then you take over the house. No, that wasn't it. That's why she fought. The land issue was the main cause why she fought and why she was killed is because of the land issue. And I'm sure people here now don't want whites to go away. No. We just want to share the small cake we have. After the success of Neria, Oliver both composed and acted in another film called Jit. In 1997, a song from that film led to a big moment in Oliver's career. The song is called What's Going On? and it reached the ears of none other than Bonnie Raitt during downtime on her band's tour bus. Basically, the back lounge of the bus gets turned into this big party. We're dancing to Afro-Cuban music or some very, very obscure Scottish or Celtic mix or some Native American band that I've never heard of. And that is how I heard the JIT soundtrack. And when I got to the song, What's Going On, I just played it over and over and over again. I got the soundtrack and I said, you know, this is my favorite song. It moved me in a way that I haven't, you know, I don't know if when you're a kid, you know, when you used to play Satisfaction or something like that, where one of these stone songs would just get you and you had to play it over and over and over again. I hadn't had a response to a record like that since I was a kid. At the time, we wondered what it was about Oliver's sound that so moved Bonnie. It's kind of like asking somebody why they really in love with chocolate. The juxtaposition of what Oliver usually sings about, you know, the kinds of topics that he sings about and the way his gruff vocals sound. It's one of the most interesting things about reggae and about African music is people singing about what's troubling them and sort of odd pairings of kind of happy-sounding music with really agonizing lyrics sometimes. And you couldn't be any more to the point than just asking what's going on. Bonnie loved this song so much that she adapted the music to create her own song on her 1998 album, Fundamental. You and I would dance around it Why is the truth so hard to say We're long for true love Ah, Bonnie Raitt, I love this. With One Belief Away, her adaptation of a favorite Oliver Mtukudzi song. 
And speaking of belief, we mentioned that Oliver started out writing songs in church and faith has remained a part of the mix throughout his career. Normally on most of my albums, I used to write one gospel song. But my fans kept complaining they needed more gospel music. I think drought has contributed a lot in people turning into gospel music. People never knew whether the rains were going to come or, and we all depend on rain here and it hasn't been raining properly for almost five years, I think. There was rains, but it was not normal rain we normally get. I think it must have contributed to people going into gospel music. one of Tuku's most beloved gospel numbers, Hear Me Lord. By the way, Bonnie Raitt went on to record a straight-up cover of this song, and she still performs it in many of her shows. Now, Oliver was certainly a Christian, but that did not mean he left behind the religion of his ancestors. In Shona religion, spirit mediums and healers, known as Nongas, provide a link between the living and their ancestors, like in my own tribe in Cameroon. Oliver was very concerned about the way these traditions became distorted during the colonial era and its aftermath. There are conmen who play Nangas, and those people encourage people to run away from their own tradition because they do it for money. The real Nangas, they don't even charge you. That's not the way it was. You would take your own token of thanks when you are served, not being charged. And uh, way big Nangas were family members, so calling each other wasn't there, but now it's like I just called to David and he's, he claims himself as a Nanga. He's got nothing to do with my family. What he wants is money, you know? That way has developed rapidly. That has encouraged a lot of people disbelieving in their own culture, you see? And at the end of the day, he still have his problem. So from there on, even if he finds a genuine Nanga, he won't believe in it because he feels, ah, he was condemned by a professional who can act like Nanga and do it the way Nangas do. You don't look out for all these things. You focus on your problem. Is this problem being solved? Why did it work then, not now? Because before Christianity, all people survived from Nangas. Why did it work then? They were genuine. Now they're no longer genuine. You can't distinguish the genuine and the non-genuine. I'm feeling low, I'm messy now. Help me, Lord, I'm feeling low. I'm feeling low, I'm messy now. Help me, Lord, I'm feeling low. Help me, Lord, I'm feeling low. 
education that people got from the white regime, it was designed for one not to believe in himself. Everybody was taught that local things are inferior, local culture is inferior. And it starts from kindergarten and you're just taught that this is a superior culture than yours. Imagine if things are taught into children and as they grow up to be fathers, they also teach their children the same thing, you know? So I think that's where the problem of attitude began. This is an existential problem, not only for Zimbabwe, but for many post-colonial societies. To paraphrase another of Oliver's songs, what can you do? That's a difficult one. That's a very, very difficult one. Even if we are independent, even if we get our land, but it's going to be very difficult to get our culture back because most of the guys who really know our culture are all gone now. And uh, we all inheriting this mixed culture, which is not really us. Much more with Oliver Mtukutsi coming up. Be sure to visit afropop.org to see a photo essay of our encounters with Oliver over the years and to hear an extended version of this program. I'm Georges Collinet with Remembering Oliver Mtukutsi on Afropop Worldwide from PRX. that Oliver was an African soul singer. And among his musical heroes are Wilson Pickett, Arthur Comley, and... I'm still a fan of Otis Redding. I think there's no other soul singer better than him until today. surely enhances his moral authority in Zimbabwean life. But it's not just that. You remember how he spoke of the Sawira? 
That person who can advise and guide a family in a time of trouble? Well, that's Oliver all the way. I think I am a national Sawira. Not only me, but all artists, writers, musicians, they act like Sawiras to the nation because they're there to portray the wrongdoings that's happening. And it's all up to the nation to utilize whatever they're told, you see? Because it's not always all Sawiras are, are good. They might go wrong too. The government normally doesn't stay with the people. They depend on uh, being fed the information. Somebody is there to pass on the message to them. Now, if we put it into a song, the government will listen to it. If you like it, the government might even like the song. Not only from the people to the government, but communities, families, we stand in like Sawiras. Oliver had this concept of a song that could transcend time and context. Jennifer Geiger. His belief as a singer was that song should communicate. The lyrics should be meaningful and they should provoke a kind of dialogue with the listeners. And you see this in all of his songs, whether they're serious or heartrending or funny. This is the concept of wunhu or reciprocal personhood, that I am who I am because you are who you are. You see this reflected even in the Zimbabwean language. If you greet a stranger on the street and you say, how are you? They'll say, I'm well if you are also. So this concept that we are who we are only in relation to other people is at the heart of all of Oliver's songs. What shall we do? What shall we do? A great example is Todi, one of many songs Oliver Mtukudzi wrote about the tragedy of HIV AIDS in Zimbabwe. Tony's 
like I mentioned a few of the little things that people don't talk about. Like you are married and you discover you are positive. What then do we do? Maybe your wife is already pregnant and you know exactly that the babies might be affected too. So what shall we do about that? I'm not giving any solutions there, but I'm just trying to trigger discussion in the people that they talk about it. The more they talk about it, the more solutions can come about. Todi comes from the album Tuku Music, a landmark release of Oliver's international career. Jennifer Kiker. Tuku Music was released in 1997. And this is the album that makes Oliver Mutukuzi into a very recognized figure in this world music scene touring on the festival circuit, playing places like Africa Fet, being signed to Putumayo Records, right? It all starts with this album, Tugu Music, in 1997. And Zoka Oyamwe is sort of the hit song on that album. Zoka Oyamwe means return and be suckled. So this is his song about being from Nande, the rural region of his family's origins in the Zambezi Valley in northeastern Zimbabwe. And Nande is largely perceived as a place that is kind of almost outside of time in Zimbabwe. It has been left behind by modernity. It's below the Zambezi escarpment, so it's very hot. It has tsetse fly, you can't raise cattle there, which means that you can't use cows to plow your fields. You still have to do it by hand. It's a place that's seen as being kind of almost backward. And in this song, Mutu Kudzi is reclaiming Nande and thinking about its value as a place of history, of culture. He's expressing his pride in being from Nande. He is saying, you see that I'm black and you believe that I'm rotten, but being rotten is not something that is on your skin. It's something that is in your heart. So just as Nande might be disparaged for being far away, remote, backward, Oliver's making a comparison with his own very dark complexion and saying, similarly, you may also see me as less valuable because of the color of my skin. This is not the case. Jennifer mentioning Africa Fed. Well, in the 1998 edition, Oliver toured alongside Baba Mal, Tumani Jabate, and Taj Mahal. We caught up with him during that tour in a noisy backstage in San Francisco. And man, I tell you, he was jazzed. He spoke to us about another song from Tuku Music, 
one he was featuring in the Africa Fed show. It's called Rirongere. one that perplexed a lot of Zimbabwean music writers in these early days. It wasn't Thomas Mapfumo's Mbira sound, nor was it like the Ndebele music of the South with its jive and the Bakanga influences. Jennifer Kiker says the sounds and choreographed dance moves in Tuku's show borrowed a lot from the music of Zimbabwe's rural Northeast. I position him as someone who is very invested in drawing on Zimbabwe's Ngoma genres, and Ngoma simply means drum. I think that Ngoma genres in general are relatively marginalized in writing on Zimbabwean music and in the recorded collections that we have of Zimbabwean music. We just don't hear a lot of the drumming, dance, and song genres. But in fact, this is a large part of what informs Oliver's 
development as a musician. One of the best parts of Oliver's show in all its various incarnations was the choreographed dancing. Just spectacular. But it turns out Oliver also enjoyed watching the audience dance. If you look at people dancing, you find them dancing at the same time. One is on GT, one is on Bira, one is on... Because it's all there. On that Africa Fed tour, Oliver was looking forward to the new millennium, but with an eye equally focused on the past. Development. We all like to develop, yes, culturally. But there are qualities that we mustn't abolish, the old ones. Like, for example, cars. You know, you take a 1952 car and a 1960 car and a 1980 car. Those cars, they might be of the same model, same make, but they are different because the 1980 probably goes faster than the 1952. But the 1952, the body-wise, is very strong. Strong, far much stronger than the 1980 model. Yes, that's development. But in the process, we have lost some qualities which are needed. I think people should just throw their eyes over their shoulder and look back and see what was good behind there and try and do it now. I think we can achieve a lot. Things got a little dicey for Oliver in the year 2000. Violence and controversy surged as the Zimbabwean economy took a nosedive Mugabe's ZANU-PF regime was backing vigilante gangs as they seized white farms and drove off the blacks who worked on them. The situation was approaching a boiling point. That year, Oliver released an album called Vuma Tolerance, and it included this song, Wasakara, You Are Worn Out. Vuma, Vuma Oliver is saying, admit it, you have grown old, you are worn out, you can no longer do the kind of work that you used to do. And at the time when the MDC, Zimbabwe's emerging opposition party, is really posing a challenge to ZANU-PF for the first time since Zimbabwean independence, people are interpreting these lines as directly speaking to President Robert Mugabe as a coded message that he should acknowledge his age and step down. Along with countless other journalists, we interviewed Oliver at this difficult moment. You could tell that he was under pressure, and he gave us a somewhat different take on the song. The song really started when I noticed how my daughters are growing up. And from there, my idea of the song was, if you're old, it doesn't mean you're gone, you're finished. No, it means you have experience. I even say in the song that you might look old, worn out or whatever, but in the eyes of God, you're still a boy. If Tuku sounds a little defensive there, even evasive, it's understandable. Critics of the Mugabe regime were paying a high price in those days, and Tuku had no intention of becoming a tool of anybody's politics. People can use a song, can turn a song 
just not what they wanted to, to, to mean. And you can't stop that, you can't, you can't do anything about that. When Tuku played this song in his concerts, many in the crowd would hold up an open palm, the symbol of the opposition MDC party, with its goal of transparent governance. All this created an uncomfortable situation for Oliver, and sometimes fans were holed out of the crowd and beaten for showing support for the MDC. Oh, well, I mean, the problem is whether I like it or not, I can't stop playing this song. I have to. If I don't play that song, I'm in trouble. If I don't play it, then it becomes an issue. I have no problem with the song anyway. It's just an ordinary song that tells the truth. I'm not a politician. There's another song in the Vuma album that might just as well be interpreted as political. It's called Makure. Makure is a cobra, a snake. And a cobra, when it strikes, You'd think it's smiling at you, but it's not. It's going to bite you. Makure, a song about the cobra's smile. Mm, not as friendly as it might look. Jennifer Kaiker says that however much Oliver might deny it, the political implications people hear in his songs are not accidental. I would say it was very deliberate, the way that he crafted songs that could be interpreted as strong political statements even as they could not be pinned down to be about one particular political party or moment or individual. One of his best loved songs is called Tozezat Baba, which translates as We Fear Father. The song describes an abusive, alcoholic father and husband who comes home and is terrorizing his family, beating his wife in front of the children, making everyone cry, making everyone fear for their lives. And this is a song that is very deeply political, first of all, for women, for the many women who have experienced this kind of abusive situation in Zimbabwe. But it also is metaphoric of larger social relations. Often the nation is construed as a family with the president as its head. Authoritarian, dictatorial, abusive, oppressive, right? People can easily read a song like that as a critique of national political relations. 
just as easily as they can understand it as a song that is about what might be happening in their own homes. And I think this was Mutukutsi's brilliance as a singer and songwriter. I love this from Oliver Mtukudzi's 2007 album Vunzemoto, a playful song called Kusekana Kwanakamba. Kusekana Kwanakamba. Kuseka is laughing. Kamba is a tortoise. A tortoise is laughing to its fellow tortoise. That is called a hardback. And it forgets it also has a hardback. You see? Now in this song I'm saying you can use alcohol but know your limits. And usually when you're drunk, you're always laughing at the next drunkard that you're drunk. And yet, you are also doing the same thing. <laughs> In this interview, our producer, Banning Air, who was quite sober, pointed out that the audiences at Oliver's show tended to drink quite a lot themselves. Yes, they do. Oh, they do. They do. And you find such songs, those are their favorite songs, you know? Because it's talking about drinking beer and they're drinking beer. <laughs> I wonder if the song is going to serve its purpose because <laughs> it seems they drink more, even more, singing that song now. <laughs> One thing Oliver spoke about often in interviews is the matter of respect or the lack thereof for artists. I think Zimbabweans were just born fighters. We've been around for a long time and for all these years, it's been a fight. And I think the reason why it took so long for me to be known out there is because of the conditions at home. People in the, in the responsible positions don't really respect the artists. Not only musicians, I'm talking about art in general. I mean, it's difficult for Zimbabwean art to flourish because of the conditions that's there. No one respects an artist. Oliver did get respect out there, as he put it. In the early 2000s, he filmed a documentary about the war years called Shanda. We're hearing the theme song now. Oliver toured all over the world, collaborated with many other artists, and even played on the David Letterman show. And he was also inducted into the Afropop Hall of Fame. How about that? Around 2007, the band changed, adding Marimba and Mbira to the lineup. And there were other changes after that. 
In this period, Sam Mtukudzi, Oliver's son, also began a career as a professional musician. He released a debut album in 2006, and Oliver came to believe that Sam would carry on his legacy. But it was not to be. Sam died in a car accident in 2010, another heavy blow for a man who was no stranger to tragedy. The good news is that Oliver had many children, including one very musical daughter, Selma Dukudzi, a fabulous singer and songwriter in her own right. Selma is moving forward with her father's legacy. Even in the relatively short time after his passing, she's organized some big memorial concerts and has been performing some of his old classic hits and has in fact reunited many of his past band members as part of this effort. And she is married to Tendai Manatsa, who is the son of one of Oliver Mutukudzi's close friends, Zexi Manatsa, who was a member of the Green Arrows, right? So this is a very beautiful uniting of these two important musical families. In his final years, Oliver devoted much of his time and energy to creating an arts center called Pakaripaya. The dream is to actually have disadvantaged youngsters, disadvantaged talent, being brought out through the art center so that one at some point I'm able to point out that hey look at that star that star came out of Pakaripaya art center that's my dream like so many African artists of his generation Oliver worried about traditions and musical skills being lost but he didn't blame young Zimbabweans for this the problem is not the kids themselves the problem is the environment they grow up how parents groom them from home. Are the parents really proud of who they are? Are they proud of being an African? Do they show their children that it's just as important as what they see on TV to be an African? It seems like the electric media is more powerful than what the parents teach their children. The children must know what's happening around the world. They must know that. But they mustn't feel inferior. Even the Pakarebai Art Center, first and foremost, when you come there, we talk to you about who you are. Okay, you know your name. But it goes far much deeper than knowing your name. What does your name mean? What does it mean? So if you understand that and understand your totems and so on and so on, why they were there and so on, if you understand that, you, you start getting to understand, oh, I'm here on earth for a purpose. In a very real way, Oliver's dream did come true. When we last met him in 2018 in Harare, he was performing as part of Thomas Mafumo's long-awaited homecoming concert, and his band consisted entirely of young musicians trained at Pakaripaya. Well, the youngest is 19, and they're all products from Pakaripaya Art Center. Pakaripaya Art Center is a facility where youngsters come and showcase what they can do. Not what they want to be, but what they can do.
Photograph of Pop Worldwide comes from the National Endowment for the Arts, which believes a great nation deserves great art and PRX affiliate stations around the U.S. And thank you for supporting your public radio station. Thanks to our many friends in Zimbabwe and to Jennifer Kiker for their help with this program. And don't forget to visit afropop.org to see our photo essay on Oliver Mtukutsi and to hear an extended version of this program. You can also find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at AfropopWW. My Afropop partner is Sean Baldo. Sean produces our program for World Music Productions. Research and production for this program by Banning Air. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast, including radio programs and our Afropop Close-Up podcast series. And join us next week for another edition of Afropop Worldwide. This program was mixed at Studio 44 in Brooklyn by Michael Jones. Additional engineering by Mike Kaplan. Banning Air and C.C. Smith edit our website, afropop.org. Our director of new media is Ben Richmond, and I'm Georges Collinet.